0: Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. All right, today we're going week three of Me and My Big Mouth. It's been a lot of fun over the last few weeks. I've heard a lot of you say, all right, well, you're stepping on my toes, but I just want to let you know I have to preach this message to myself for six days before I preach it to you for 30 minutes, okay? And so I walk in with sore toes every single week. Uh, but if you're new to our series, our series is really all about addressing the power of our words, the power of our words, that our words carry incredible power. They have the power to give life and they have the power to take life. And over the last few weeks, we talked about how it starts with the heart and it moves to our mind and then it comes out our mouth, but that our words carry power. And so we've been addressing this series called Me and My Big Mouth. If you weren't here, I want to kind of give you a little quick recap or maybe if you've been here and you've forgotten, I want to to remind you where we've been. Week one, we talked about um, the topic of complaining. Okay, and no one has complained since. It's been a miracle in our family, right? No one, not one time. Has, so I'm totally kidding. Uh, but we said there's really two different responses in that area of complaining in our life. The first area is um, if there's something that you can change in your life, if you have the power to change that, then man, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, change it. Take action in your life. Faith is called to action. So if you can change it, change it. But the second reality is if you can't change the circumstances in your life, then begin to change. Your perspective, begin to change the way you think about it, begin to change the way that you act towards it, and begin to ultimately change the way that you speak about it. And on week one, as we address complaining, we kind of landed on this um, thought right here that if Jesus is the center of your story, that it changes the way that you view your life. If Jesus is the center of your story, it changes the way you view your life, and it begins to change your attitude and your words because you begin to understand I'm living for God's purposes and God's plans, and it's not mine, and all of a sudden you have less reason to complain. All right, that was week one. Week two, last week was a lot of fun. Man, it was a whole lot of fun. It was about criticizing. And no one's criticized all week either. its I'm telling you, this series has been amazing. No, seriously, last week we identified two different identities in the area of criticizing. Anybody remember? We had the fault finder and then we had the hope, what? Giver. Sweet, two of you took notes last week. Man, welcome into the series for the rest of you. So glad that you could be here today on week three. No, fault finder and a hope giver. A fault finder, we said, is someone who speaks words that destroy, that tear down, and that ultimately kill. But then a hope giver is someone who chooses to speak life, to speak hope, and to speak encouragement. And so last week we walked out with going, man, every one of us have the choice that will we be a fault finder or will we be a hope giver like God has been to us. And so if you have a copy of scripture today, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. If you've missed any of our series and you want to catch back up on those weeks, you can hop on our website and you can listen online or also watch our messages back. But Proverbs chapter 12 is going to be a launching point for today. Now I'll tell you, much like last week, we're really kind of going, to, uh, going to kind of be all over Scripture. So Proverbs 12 is where we're going to start, but don't get mad at me when I go away from Proverbs 12, okay? So keep those flipping fingers ready, or maybe if you've got your Bible app out, you can scroll to those different places. But as always, we'll put some Scripture on the screen behind me so that you can try along with where we're going to be today. Now, I'll just go ahead and warn you from the get-go today, we're not taking our foot off the gas at all, okay? It's going to be um, a difficult one as we address the topic of lying. The topic of lying. Now, before we get started today, okay, I want to take a little poll, and everybody's going to be honest because we're in a message about lying, okay? So let me get a show of hands, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You're not going to have to confess to anybody. You're not going to have to say your name. Hey, I'm Brian, and this is how many times I lie. Okay, you don't have to do that. But listen to me if you, all right, raise your hand, if you would admit that Sometime in the last 24 hours, okay, so that'd be yesterday morning, about 10:30. Sometime in the last 24 hours, you've lied at least one time. Maybe it was small, maybe it big. If that was you, raise your hand up. 24 hours, lit, raise it up, leave it up, raise it up, leave it up. Be proud in church today. Do not be, uh, do not dis- be dishonest. Now, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. I-, I got something for you, okay. If that's you, now look at me, look at me. Some of you are like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. This is my first time, and I'm already admitting. Okay, listen to me. If that's you, you ready? If you got your hand. Ready, I got mine raised. Okay. Then look at all the people who don't have their hand raised and you say, listen to me, you say, odds are you're lying. (laughs) Tell them, tell them if it's your spouse, man, you take joy and delight in that. Okay. The preacher told you that you could tell your spouse that they are probably lying. Now listen to me, listen to me. Statistics show, okay. Statistics show that if you didn't raise your hand, there's a good chance that you might be lying because statistics show that on average, people tell four, four lies a day. A study by the University of Massachusetts showed that people, 60% of people, 60% of people, when they first meet someone, within the first 10 minutes of meeting that new person, they're going to tell a lie. 60% of people, when the first 10 minutes of meeting someone, are going to tell a lie. That's why this is going to be a nine-minute message today, to make sure that I fall right underneath that barrier, and I don't lie to you at all. Now, see, see we, we laugh about that, and we, and we can. But in, on a serious note today, I want us to think about this question. How does God view lying? How does God view that half-truth, that falsehood, that deceit? Here's what Proverbs chapter 12 says. Look at this with me on the screen. Proverbs 12:22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. He detests when we lie, but on the other side, he rejoices or delights when we tell the truth. In fact, the Hebrew word that's translated as detest, the Lord detests lying, um, it comes from the word, um, tu a ball. So you guys say that with me. Tu a ball. Okay. Well, one more time. Tu a ball. All right. You learned Hebrew today. So if you didn't learn anything else, you got a little bit of Hebrew on your belt. Tu a ball. Here's what that word means in the Hebrew. It means something disgusting. It means an abomination. It means something that makes one nauseous. So we could imply today that when we lie, we make God nauseous. We make God nauseous. See, here's what Paul would say in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter four, verse 21. Paul would write these words to the church at Ephesus, to anyone who would be in Christ. So hear these words today, church. He says, when you heard about Christ, and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self or to exchange old for new, as we say in our house here, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, look in with me. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Some versions say literally, stop telling lies. That's what it says right there, rather than falsehood. And Paul says, and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Scripture says, stop telling lies. Heard an old Southern preacher say one time, you may may never be more like the devil than when you're lying. He sounded a lot more convincing. You may never be more like the devil than when you're lying. See, the Lord detests, scripture says, lying lips, and Paul backs him, and then Jesus backs him again in John's gospel. John chapter 8, verse 44, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says this, he says, he, speaking of the devil, says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, look at this, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Perhaps one of the reasons why God hates lying so much is because his spiritual enemy, our enemy, the devil, the prince of darkness, is a liar. And lying, scripture says, is his native language. It's his native language. While Jesus, scripture would say, speaks truth that brings freedom, the enemy convinces us to lie, which leads to bondage. Now, today I want to show you in our time, I want to show you what I believe is kind of a three-point plan of our enemy in this area of lying. What's the devil's plan to get you and me to speak his native language, right? If we're going to battle, if we're going to go into a ball game with an opponent or a battle with an opposition, then if we know the enemy's plan, we have an upper hand, do we not? And so today I want to give you some things, encourage you to take notes on it, so that you can begin to understand the enemy's plan in your life and begin to understand how not to live in falsehood, but how to steer towards truth and freedom. So here's the first thing I believe in the enemy's plan, is that Satan wants to get you to lie. Satan wants to get you to lie. Satan would love it, the foundation to just get you to start speaking his native language. That would please him so much to begin to speak the language of the enemy by getting you to lie. And here's the deal. Lying can take on so many different forms and so many different ways. It could be something as simple as an exaggerating a story to make you look better. It could be cheating on a test. It could be lying about where you were. No, really, mom, I promise I was at my friend's house. It could be about making something up to make about somebody that you don't like and maybe just kind of figure it's at least completely true. It could be lying about how old our kids are at the restaurant or cutting corners at work. It might be telling partial truths. You're not telling everything. You're just telling the story at least so it helps make you look good or protects you. Or maybe for some of you, it might be things like, well, you know, and then I said to her, you can't talk to me that way. And then I pulled her aside and I said, no, if you talk to me again like that, I'm going to do this to you. And you're thinking, did you really do that? And they're on, if they were honest, they're like, well, I didn't say it, but I thought it. And it's exaggerating. It's not walking in full truth. You see, it's amazing how often, because of our sinful nature, we will choose to speak the devil's native language, and it begins to come naturally out of us in the form of lying. My wife, Heather, shared with me a story uh, and gave me, Thumbs up to share with you today. Okay, so don't go to, I was talking about you. Okay, she gave me permission, all right? Um, when my wife was little and she was around second grade age, she wanted to get glasses. She decided to get glasses. And so one day her parents um, booked her an eye doctor's appointment. And so she went to the eye doctor and she sat in the chair like we've all done before. Look better here, look better there, right? Read the chart on the wall. And so when they put the chart on the wall, she purposefully misread the chart, Okay, maybe maybe your kid's done that too, okay? Matt I just got some ideas, and your kids don't do that. We're saying what's wrong here, right? Okay, she purposely misread the chart in hopes to get glasses. And guess what? It worked. It worked. At the end of the eye doctor's appointment, she walked out and walked in the little area, and the doctor says, okay, well, you're going to need some glasses, and here's your glasses. And she gives my wife the glasses. My wife told me that for the next almost... 10 years that she lived, and she would wear those glasses as she wanted to, as she saw fit. She said, Brandon, she said, every time I would read a verse about lying, it would convict me. Every time the preacher would talk about lying, it would convict me, but I didn't do anything about it. Then at some point in her high school year, some 10 years later, she finally decided it was time to come clean, to be real. And she went to her parents, and she shared with her mom, and she says, Mom, this is the deal. She worked up the courage, right, to admit it, and she confessed. She said, Mom, this is the lie. This is what I did some 10 years ago, and this is what I've lived in. I'm so sorry. This is what happened. And here was her mom's response. Oh, I knew. (laughs) And the doctor knew too. That's why they put fake lenses in those glasses they gave you 10 years ago. You see, we laugh at that, and we go, oh, that was so childish. She was in second grade. She didn't know better. But listen to me. Listen to me. Those things that begin in our childish nature so many times don't leave us even as we grow up. And it becomes so easy for that sinful broken flesh in us to begin to adopt the enemy's native language. And what would the enemy love for us to do? He would love to get you to begin to tell a lie. Just a small one. Not a big one. Just to cover up something. And the enemy works his plan to begin to get us to tell a lie. When you see a second part of the enemy's plan, and that is this that Satan wants you to lie to yourself. He wants you to lie to yourself. He gets you to lie to yourself, not just to lie to others, but also to lie to yourself. What do you do with that? You start rationalizing your lies. Occasionally, we, we double down on our lies, right? We tell this lie, so then we tell another one to make sure that one's covered, and then we tell this one, to co- and all of a sudden, we have a string of lies, and all of a sudden, we begin to believe our own lies. Maybe there are some of you who you've lied so much to others, and it's just it started easy, and now it's just become so encompassing that for you so much, you believe the lies that you've told. Even to the point where where you've rationalized that own habit, that own sinful brokenness in you. You've rationalized it. And maybe here today, as you hear me speaking about truth, you're like, oh, well, that's not necessarily for me, because I'm I'm not that bad. I mean, I mean it's just small stuff. I could I could stop it when I wanted to. It doesn't really affect a whole lot of people. Or maybe you would say, no, it's not my fault. Like, it started with so-and-so, and and there was this situation, and and, and then all of a sudden, like, it's just kind of a part of my life, but but I don't have to address it a whole lot. You see, we begin to rationalize our own lies, and what happens is we're not just lying to others, but ultimately, we begin to lie to our own self. It's exactly what happened in the Old Testament with King David. If you know his story, King David thought that he was a little bit above the rules, and so rather than going to war like all the kings did, David stayed home. And one night he finds himself walking around on, on the rooftop of the palace and he looks at one of the houses next door and he sees a naked woman bathing. And scripture says in the original language there that he, in that moment, it was raha. It meant to see. He, he raha, he, he saw this woman. And when David saw her, he was a man driven by his emotions. And he said, raha, ha, 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 and he liked it. And he asked his servant to go get the woman. And the servant did, and you know the story, Bathsheba comes back to David's house, and David commits adultery with her, and then he begins his plan of deceit and lying to cover up his mistake, to cover up his lie, and he brings her husband home from battle, and he tries to work a plan, but the husband doesn't submit, and so ultimately he sends Uriah, the woman's husband, back to war, and he puts him on the front lines of defense where he's murdered and killed in battle. And if you read later in Scripture, the prophet Nathan comes to King David and Nathan says to David, David, let me tell you a little bit of a story. There was a rich man and the rich man had so much, so many herds and possessions and livestock and he had all of this wealth. And then there was a poor man and the poor man had one lamb. And the one lamb, it was his favorite lamb. It was his only lamb. It was the the kid's favorite. It's kind of like a pet to them. And and then a hungry man came to the rich man's house. And the hungry man said, I'm hungry. Would Would you make something for me? Would you give me some food? And the rich man, rather than taking one of his numerous livestock, went to the poor man's house. And he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and he fed it to the hungry man. And Nathan tells David the story and David says that's absurd that's insane that's crazy that's so wrong that the rich man the rich man should be killed and Nathan looks at David and he says atta ish you are that man you are that man Maybe for some of you today in this moment it's now pretty quiet Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking into you on a rainy Sunday morning to say, Ish," you are that man, or Isha," you were that woman. And you bought into the lies. And it started small, but now you begin to believe it, and now you begin to even lie to yourself. See, what, what does our enemy want us to do? He wants us to tell a lie. He wants us to believe the lie because he knows that if he can get us there, he can wrap us in bondage and steal us away from the truth that God called us to for our life. He gets us to tell a lie, and then the enemy causes us to lie to ourselves. But the third part of the plan is the enemy's masterpiece, and it's this right here. Satan wants you to live a lie. Satan wants you to live a lie. He wants you to claim one thing, but then be something entirely different. And let me just say, obviously, this is, this is not all of you, but probably unquestionably, this is somebody. This is some of you. Some of you, if you were honest today, are living a lie. It could be that maybe you're Mr. Christian guy, and you show up to the gathering, and you do all the churchy things, but behind closed doors, you're in a relentless, constant battle with pornography. Could be that you have everything put together on Instagram and look at my new outfit and my new man and this and that and the highlights of my life, but inside you are broken and you are empty. Maybe you're the Pinterest mom and you've got it all together and everything's homemade and everything's in place and look at this and, and life's so orderly and I do this with the kids, but man, inside you're, you're broken and depressed and lonely and empty Or maybe as a couple, it seems that on the outside, everything's good together and and you go to life group and you got the best marriage at the group. and, And that's the way the front that you put up. But when you go home behind closed doors, you fight till bedtime and then sleep in separate rooms. You see, the enemy would love to get us to begin to live a lie. There are those of you right now that maybe it's incredibly quiet because you feel uncomfortable. I just be honest with you? Perhaps the Holy Spirit wants you to feel uncomfortable because he, he's speaking to you today, not from me, but through the truth of his word to say, Ata ish, or Ata isha. you're living in it, but that's not what I created you for. See, the devil wants us to tell lies. He wants us to believe our own lies. And then he would love, he would love to get you to live a lie. See, if it doesn't, feel serious enough yet. This is where it might even feel more serious. This is one of my greatest fears that the devil is a deceiver. And what I'm really, really afraid of is that there are many of us in our Bible Belt church culture mentality, right? Where everybody goes to church and everybody loves God. And for you, here's the lie that you're believing. You're believing the lie that you have a relationship in Christ, that you're living a life in Christ, and you would say, hey, if we're taking a vote on who's a Christian today, I'd raise my hand. But listen to me, listen to me, in all grace and all truth today, that's not your life. There is no fruit of your life that looks like a relationship with Christ. There's nothing of your life that's lined up with the plans and purposes of God, and there is no surrender daily to choose to trust Him because it's been built on your plans. And there was maybe an emotional decision at some point in your journey, but the truth is it never changed anything in your heart. If there's anything that concerns a pastor more than anything, it's this, is God, don't let me shepherd people who don't recognize a daily need for Jesus, that he calls us to a relationship. Here's what scripture says. Look at this from 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. Scripture says, whoever says, I know him, I know God, but does not do what he commands is, what is that word? A liar. And the truth is not in that person. Whoever says, I know him, whoever says, I know God, but doesn't do what he commands. There's no obedience. There's no life change. There's no fruit. Now, we're not saved by our works, but works come as a result of our love relationship with Jesus. And when God meets you and you meet Him, something inside of you begins to change. You begin to look different. There begins to be a maturity slowly about you in Christ. And my concern today is that there would be some people today who are not in Christ because Scripture would say that person is a liar and the truth would not be in them. And maybe today you go, no, I'm not that bad. Like, I'm okay. Because the enemy has pulled down the eyes of deceit over you. And you begin to live a lie and speak the enemy's native language. Why do, why do we lie? Like like so many of us do it in so many different... Why, why does it happen? I think some of the reasons. Some of us lie to protect our feelings. We're like, well, I, I got to protect myself. Nobody else is. And so I'm going to say this just to guard me. We lie to make ourselves look better, right? Guys, we're notorious for that. We got to carry an image and an ego and so... Yeah, man, this is what I did, but it's not true. And and we buy in it and start small. It starts so small. And it begins to build and we lie to get our way. We lie for so many different reasons. So can I ask you this question today? And I want you to answer it out loud, but I just want, want you to answer it right here. Why is it that you lie? Why is it that it becomes so easy in your marriage relationship, with your parents, at your workplace, in the silence behind closed doors, why, why is it? Because here's the deal. If we can identify the root, okay, if we can identify the root, then we can begin to find healing. Here's a statement I want you to write down. The root reason most of us lie is because we don't completely trust God. The root reason that many of us lie is because we don't completely trust God's plans and God's purposes and His promises, Here's what we believe. We believe the lie that our lie will be better than God's truth. I'll say that again. We believe the lie that our lie will be better than God's truth. And we buy it. We think, well, this little lie, it might might keep me safe. Or if I just kind of word this this way, it might help me from getting in trouble but suddenly when we lie, we're actually not safe because we're living a a life built on lies. And it's a lot more dangerous than a life built completely on truth. Or it may be that we think that if we tell a lie, that uh, somebody might like me better. Think about that. That means that you have a relationship now built on lies. And you're gonna have to keep lying. If that's what it took to get them to like you, you're gonna have to keep lying to get them to like you. We might think if I tell a lie, it's gonna help avoid conflict in that relationship. But listen to me. The truth is sometimes relationships are better and stronger on the other side of conflict, when you walk in truth. At its root, we tend to believe that our lies will work better than God's truth. And for so many of us, the reason that we lie, the root of it at our sinful core is that we don't fully trust God. We don't believe all of what His Word says. We believe the pastor's full of hot air. Our life group's not for us. Our time in the Word doesn't matter. And complete, we fail to completely trust God. Now, let's make this as simple as we can, okay? Who is the devil? we said it. He's the, he's the father of lies. He's the master of deceit. That's his native language, is to get you to believe the lie or live the lie so that he can get you away from God's truth. Now, here's the deal. We believe truth is a person. Truth has a name. Truth's name is Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, what does it say? Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I'm the life. John 8, 32, Jesus would say this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What good news today? When you know the truth, it will set you free. Lives bring bondage, but truth brings freedom. And Satan wants us to tell a lie or believe our lie or live a lie so that he can rob us of the truth and the freedom that Jesus intended for us. Satan has a plan. We've talked about it. He has a plan for you, whether you want to acknowledge it or just submit to it, to get you to tell a lie, to believe it, and to live in it. But guess what? God has a plan, too. He has a plan, too. And his plan is this, that we would confess to God. For forgiveness, and that we would confess to people for healing. Two parts: that we would confess to God for forgiveness, and we would confess to people for healing. So, in the midst of that lie, that deceit, that that small half truth, listen to what God's response to His people is. First John chapter one verse nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love this. Like that's good news in the midst of a weighty word today that God says, man, own it and and confess it to me. And here's what I'll do. I'll wipe it clean. Psalm says, I'll separate as far as the East is from the West and I'll remember it no more. That's God's promise when we confess. That's a good God that he would forgive us and cleanse us. God, because of Jesus, washes out our deceit. He washes out our sins and he can cover your lies. Check this out with the healing truth of his grace. He can take that lie you've been believing, that lie you've been living, the lies you've been telling, and he takes his grace and he covers it and he heals it with his truth. Now, we confess to God, not so much for his sake, but for ours. God knows. You think nobody knows, but God knows. But when we tell him, we're simply going, God, I own it. And yet I ask that you forgive it because only you can. I can't make it right. God, you make it right. And would you bring freedom where there's been bondage, where there's been lies? Would you bring truth? Now, listen to me. There's so many people, they, they stop at part one. They, they confess to God for forgiveness. That's easy. We don't see him, all right? For a lot of us, that's easy. But here, listen to me. But if that's where you stop, then you miss the full freedom of what God created and intended, all right? There's a second part. We confess to God for forgiveness and we confess to people for healing. And here's what James would say about that. James chapter five, verse 16, so good. Therefore, confess your sins to each Other and pray for each other so that you may be what does it say? Healed. Who don't want to be healed? Nobody. So that you may be healed. We confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to people for healing, and that's where the healing power begins. That's where the healing power begins. There's a story that I've never shared publicly before, but I think it bears weight for this moment today. My wife and I met when we were in college, met first year or first week of her freshman year, my junior year at Mississippi College, met at Welcome Week, cookout out at the reservoir. Didn't know it, but we lived two and a half minutes apart, but it never really met. And so we began a relationship and just like all dating couples do, um, there was a lot of questions, all right? A lot of getting to know each other in those first few weeks and first few months together, a lot of laying out who you are and learning who that other person is and figuring each other out, all right? And for me, I'll just be honest, for me, I was the son of a minister. I grew up in church. I grew up around the things of God. I tried hard in school. I played sports. And on the outside, it seemed that everything was pretty much together. Now, I wasn't perfect, but it seemed that everything was pretty much in place. But one night, I'll never forget it. One night as we sat talking at Mississippi College, she began to ask questions, and her questions began to get more pointed. And I began to grow more and more uncomfortable until ultimately I got pinned in a corner and there was really no other way out for me other than confession. And in that moment, I began to confess some very dark and wrong and sinful habits of my life that I had allowed to creep in. And I'll never forget it. It was one of the worst nights of my life. And I began to pour it out before my then girlfriend, my now wife, and all of a sudden the church boy didn't look so awesome anymore. And it was one of the most difficult things I'd ever done in my life because in that moment I had to confess that I had been living a lie in so many ways. I'd been living a lie. And as I confessed my lies my then girlfriend, I watched the pain and the heartache and the brokenness that it created in her, and we began to talk and talk for hours and hours, and there was apologizing from me, a lot of it, and there were tears shed on both sides, and finally, after hours and hours of conversation, she looked at me, and I'll never forget it, and she said these words, I choose to forgive I choose to forgive you, your lies. I choose to let them go. I'm here to tell you today that it became one of the most defining moments of my entire life. It became one of the most defining moments of my entire life. Because in that moment, my lies were confessed They were met with forgiveness. And forgiveness began to open the door to healing in my life. Begin to open the door to healing in my life. And I look back on that night with a lot of regret, a lot of shame for all of the things that led me there. But at the same time, now I look back at that night and I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for what God did in me and what He did through my now wife because of the confession and the forgiveness and the healing that began to take place and because of that defining moment where the lie came to light and it was met with truth and forgiveness and grace began to do a healing work in my life and now I stand here over a decade removed from that moment healed and forgiven and free and whole and complete. Some of you today are carrying a lie. You're living a lie. Can I ask you this question? How does it feel? I know. There's oppression, there's guilt, there's shame, there's doubt, and the list goes on and on. But can I ask you this question today? What would it look like? What would it look like to wake up and know there's nothing hidden in you? To know that you're living in freedom, forgiven, covered in grace, healed by the blood of Jesus, forgiveness from God and freedom from others. Listen to me, listen to me. I know, I know. It's one of the greatest feelings in the world. The devil is a liar, and he would love to get you as a high school student, college student, single adult, a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a grandparent. He would love to get you to buy into his strategy, to tell a lie. It's so small to believe your own lies or to live that lie. But God says, I got a plan. Confess it to me and find forgiveness when you confess I'm faithful and I'm just and I forgive you and I cleanse you. And then confess it to one another for healing. Lies equal bondage, truth equals freedom. Here's the question today What do you want to live in? You want to live in bondage or freedom? Bondage or freedom? Lies or truth, here's my prayer today as a redeemed, rescued, forgiven, and victorious man. My prayer for you is that you would know the truth, that you would know it, that you would live in that truth, that you would speak that truth, and that that truth, that truth of Jesus alive in you would set you free. Can I pray for you? Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.